Okay, we are live, and welcome to the John Riley Project. It is June 8th, and just really happy to be back with you, and hope you're all having a good day out there. We have a really interesting topic today. We're going to talk about the Second Amendment and gun rights, and you know, there's been all these mass shootings in Uvalde and Chattanooga and Philadelphia, and I've been just doing a lot more deep thought on the Second Amendment and gun rights and you know, is there a new approach? And I kind of have some ideas, I think, on how we can solve this crisis or at least move the needle in a way that I think, you know, patriotic Americans, both right wing and left wing, I think there's a pathway to come together. And so I've got some of those ideas that I want to share in this podcast. But, hey, I welcome you into this live stream. Feel free to Type your questions and comments on Facebook or YouTube. I'll see them on my screen. I'll read them on the air. And we will make this not just a monologue, but hopefully a dialogue. So um, how y'all doing? I uh, hope you're all doing great. And, uh, you know, I've, I've been, you know, I, I've been busy. I've been a lot of things going on. A few weeks ago, I drove up to San Francisco to visit my friend, uh, my friend Jack, and we hung out and watched a uh, Giants Padres games on TV, watched the Warrior playoff games up there. Had a really good time. We we actually went to a sports bar out in Cow Hollow in San Francisco, uh, which is the neighborhood where my parents used to live right when they got married. So it's kind of a neat little area of San Francisco. Um, and just hung out there, had the great, greatest time. You know, I drove up, hit some Airbnbs on the way, went and visited another one of the California missions, went to the one in Soledad. And so just had a great experience. Although I'll tell you what, when I was in Salinas, I almost got attacked. Let me just tell you the story and then we'll get to the whole gun thing. Um, So I'm driving up to Northern California. I, you know, I stop and I like to go get, you know, these big Diet Cokes on ice, which I love on my long drives. And I'm looking around for a place and I'm in Salinas. Um, and Salinas, if you've ever been there, is very, you know, it's kind of an older farming community. And so it was a little hard to find a place that I could actually get like the equivalent of a big gulp. And so I'm in the this gas station that had a convenience store in it. And it was not a really new gas station. So, you know, you're kind of rolling the dice a little bit. And I go in and I look and they don't have Coca-Cola. They only have Pepsi. And I'm like, oh, darn it. I'm not going to get a Pepsi. So if 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 you're like me, I mean, you you don't mix the two. So what I decided to do is I was like, ah, oh, bummer. And I was kind of walking back to my car and I was sort of mumbling to myself, you know, like, oh, well, I guess I'm gonna have to go find another place to go get a big gulp Diet Coke. Um, and this dude like was in the, like on the edge of the gas station and he approached me and he was carrying like these two branches and dragging them along. And my car was sort of parked next to where, you know, the dumpster is. I thought he was going to unload it there. And he starts walking and he comes right up into my face. And he's like young. He's like around 30, early 30s. And the dude is is buff. I mean, he's like built. Um, and he is angry. And he is threatening violence. I mean, he came up to me and goes, who the hell do you think you are? You talking BS about me. And I'm, you know, giving you the PG version. Um, you talking BS about me. You think, you think I'm probably lazy and need to get a job. And I'm like, whoa, dude, dude, <laughs> you are, I said, I wasn't talking about you at all. You know, in fact, what I was doing was 
mumbling to myself because I do that when I'm on my on my road trips. And because uh, I was frustrated about the, the fountain drink machine inside the gas station. Um, and the guy was just not backing down at all. And so I finally had to kind of flip into alpha male mode and just really take a dominant position and then really stand up for what I was doing. And then eventually he kind of scurried off. But it was nuts. I mean, it was just crazy. But at any rate, the rest of the trip was great. You know, I saw friends, um, you know, kind of reconnecting with my roots in the Bay Area. Um, just had a really good time. But then I got back from that. And this was about two weeks ago. And I don't know what happened. I got, I've just been sicker than a dog. And that's why I haven't done a podcast episode in a while. Um, just have been battling... I don't know if it was just a really bad head cold or if it was COVID or what the hell it was, but I tested myself for COVID. It was negative, but I just felt really bad for like about a week and a half. And so now I'm kind of coming out of it and uh, I'm happy to share this podcast episode with you. So anyways, here we go. Let's talk about this. And uh, it's like, I kind of think of this as sort of a new approach, a new point of view, a new way of thinking around the Second Amendment, around gun rights, you know, and we're going to talk a little bit about Uvalde. We're going to talk a little bit about, you know, some of the the proposals that are on the table. We're even going to talk about Matthew McConaughey, who was in the news last night. And all of this is, you know, as a nation, we're struggling with this, right? As a nation, we're seeing these mass shootings, and we're seeing all kinds of other gun violence, which I'm going to get to, that isn't really even reported in the news. So, you know, my last podcast, I talked quite a bit about this notion of the great replacement theory, right, um, which is this kind of paranoia um, kind of conspiracy theory that the Buffalo shooter had. Remember the Buffalo shooter was that was only about two weeks ago. Right. Um, and, you know, he had his own manifesto and he had this political motive to go out and shoot all of these innocent black people in the supermarket in Buffalo. Um, And I I commented on that quite a bit. But, you know, since then, we've had Uvalde, which 22 dead, 17 injured. There's been incidents in Chattanooga, Philadelphia, Charleston, Tulsa, and God knows how many others. I mean, like, what was it last weekend? There were like seven or eight incidents of, of mass shootings, you know, kind of depending on how you define them. And so... You know, I've just been thinking more deeply about this and I'm like, well, you know, what's my position on guns and do I need to evolve a little bit on this or am I not looking at it clearly? And this is when I really started to sort of assess my own philosophic opinion on guns, my own moral framework on guns and and then trying to reconcile it with what, you know, what I really stand for, which in this podcast is all about our inalienable rights of life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness. So, you know, when you look at the gun deaths, I mean, you know, mass shootings, of course, they get all the attention, but they really only account for like one to two percent of gun violence. Granted, it's horrible. It's tragic. Children being killed. It's it's like massive news, you know, and it rightfully deserves every split second of coverage that it gets. Um, But. It, you got to keep it a, a sense of perspective or a sense of proportion because it only represents a very tiny sliver of the total amount of gun violence or deaths that result from guns across America. So in 2020, a couple of years ago, 54% of all gun-related deaths in the United States were suicide. 
So like 24,000 and change were suicide and 43,000, excuse me, 43% were murders. And, you know, and there's a lot in the murder umbrella, right? You've got individual murders, you've got mass shootings, you've got gang violence, you've got a lot of things. And then the remainder is, you know, there's like a small sliver of things that are not murders and are not suicides, right? So those are cases like, you know, unintentional, you know, cases. And we've seen that where a gun will go off, you know, probably like uh, um, um, Alec Baldwin, right? In his situation, that was an unintentional death. Uh, but then, you know, law enforcement is sometimes using guns to kill, uh, to kill people. Um, and there's a number of undetermined circumstances. But basically the key point is, is that well over half of gun violence in America is suicide. Suicide, which is a horrible problem. And it's something that needs to be addressed, but it doesn't really seem like it's being addressed. All the focus is on mass shootings, you know, and the mass shootings deserve attention. But what's interesting is, is that if you look at, you know, what kinds of weapons are actually, you know, responsible for, I mean, the, well, let's be clear. The, the person shooting the gun is the one responsible for the gun deaths, okay? But what weapon are they using? Because we hear all this concern about AR-15s and AK-47s and assault weapons and bump stocks and a lot of this. Well, in 2020, handguns in, were involved in 59% of the 13,000 gun murders and non-negligent manslaughters. So- 59% of, of um, yeah, we're leaving this, the suicides out. Of the murders, 59% of those are with handguns. Again, rarely discussed, you know, because everyone's so focused on assault weapons. You know, rifles, the category which includes uh, sometimes called assault weapons, um, are involved in 3% of firearm murders. And then shotguns, only 1%. Um, and then the remainder... They have other categories of firearms. I think some of them are just simply not stated. So, but it's interesting, first of all, that handguns, well, suicide is the most prevalent. Of the murders, handguns are the primary one. And let's look at where a lot of those handgun deaths occur. And one of the things I've often said is one way that we can reduce gun violence pretty quickly. You know, it's a big, gun violence is a difficult problem to solve. Gun violence is, you know, forgive, forgive me for this pun, but there's no silver bullet to solving the crisis of gun violence. And the government can try to enact any number of things, but it's not going to comprehensively solve the problem. But there is one thing they could do that would have a huge effect, and that's to end the war on drugs. Because I was looking at handgun deaths, and there are there were 32,000 gun fatalities in America from 2003 to 2010. Um, 13% of them were, were gang-related. 13% of, let's just say, uh, we're leaving out the suicides. So just the murders, 13% of those are gang-related. So those are, those are cases of gangs. You know, in the inner city, in suburbia, in rural America, where they're trafficking drugs underground and they don't, you know, if there are disputes, there are trade disputes, if there are territory disputes, they solve their problem at the point of the gun. 
And that's why we're seeing shootings in a lot of inner cities. People usually will point the finger to Chicago and they try to make it a racial issue. But the bottom line is, is that there's way more people being killed by guns with handguns and in particular around the war on drugs. So, again, just to give you a sense of scope or a sense of proportion. Then you look at the media coverage of this and, of course, you know, 24-7 coverage of Uvalde which, again, is proper and rightful. I mean, that should be covered. Um, But very few reports on suicides, gang violence, um, handgun deaths. You don't really hear much about that. And so what we end up is in this same sort of what, like a rinse and repeat dialogue, right? You know, you hear the people on the left that are calling for gun control. You hear the people and, and you'll see here varying forms of gun control on the left, you know, from anywhere from background checks to uh, red flag laws all the way to like some people want to have confiscation of guns or to enact policies what like what exist in Australia, you know, where people are there. The guns are literally being collected or in a buyback program. Some people want that on the left and on the right. You hear people there. They're standing up for the Second Amendment, you know, and they're they're sticking to the whole notion of. Um, the right to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. I mean, it's written right there into the Bill of Rights. And, you know, there's some debate upon whether that's an individual right or a right within the context of a militia. But in my opinion, as long as it says the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed, that's going to be a very difficult thing to overcome Um in relation to, you know, changing minds. And so you've got these two camps and neither one of them wants to budge. And then meanwhile, the politicians who have the opportunity to make some changes in gun laws or make other kinds of changes are massively influenced by money to the point that, you know, they're getting donations from, you know, like our our Republicans are getting some donations from the NRA and a lot of other, um, Groups that are pro-gun rights and to the point where a lot of these politicians don't want to vote for gun rights because they know if they do, they're going to get kicked out of office. And what's the whole reason a politician is in government is so they can have power and celebrity. And that's all going to be taken away if they vote the wrong way on guns. And so we end up in this rinse and repeat cycle, right? Both sides firmly, you know, digging their heels. I mean, even our friends at the NRA, you know, they're saying, I'll give you my gun when you pry it from my cold, dead hands. So we're stuck. (laughs) We're stuck in this stalemate. Um, The people are more and more divided. It's more and more politicized. And at the same time, the the, um, politicians are largely abdicating their role. They're afraid to take a firm stance one way or the other. Um, They're afraid to really try to figure out how to address this issue, and they just become cowards. And we end up being stuck in this process, and then we keep having mass shootings and, you know, thoughts and prayers, and nothing seems to change. We're stuck. I mean, how do we get out of this? Um, And then on top of it, we have the problem of the police who are supposed to protect and serve that completely failed in Uvalde. Which, frankly, for a lot of people that are big supporters of gun rights, they want a gun in a situation where they feel that they 
their lives are under threat, you know, because they know if they call the police, there's no guarantee the police are going to solve the problem. But in the case of Vivaldi, the police refused to solve the problem. They waited in the hallway for the janitor to bring the keys. They wouldn't bear, they wouldn't, you know, the police seem to have no trouble, you know, busting through someone's door and killing people in an apartment, someone like Breonna Taylor, if they happen to think that there's drugs in the apartment. But God forbid there's a mass shooter in a classroom with killing kids and kids are bleeding out and the police won't bust down the door. So the whole like system is failing. The, the, the institutions are failing around us because our leadership is weak. And I don't care if it's right wing or left wing or Republican or Democrat. It's weak. We're stuck. We're in a stalemate. I mean, I don't I don't care where you stand on the in the in, on the political spectrum. But from any rational perspective, we have to see this as a complete disaster. I mean, it's nuts how this continues to go on and without any real effort to try to solve it. People just sort of throw up their hands. So how are we going to fix this? Okay, well, I want to first kind of tee this up because I have a little bit of history of guns myself. And I want to tell you kind of my history and where I come from on this. So prior to my mom, you know, I was raised originally by my mom, my grandmother, and my aunt. My father was killed when I was when I was a fetus in my mom's womb. My father was killed. And so uh, we had no guns in our family at all, like when I was an infant and a very young child. But then my mom remarried in the fourth grade. And my stepfather um, was a deer hunter, pheasant hunter, you know, kind of a blue collar country western pickup truck, you know, semi truck driver dude. And was really part, you know, part of his persona was kind of overlapping with the gun culture. So we had guns in our house. And, you know, it's it's not uncommon. I mean, I just saw this on Pew Research. Four in 10 United States adults say they live in a household with a gun, including 30 percent of people say they personally own one. So, yeah, guns are prevalent throughout society. And my house as a as a youngster is no different now. Um, and then. Yeah, I was growing up and my, my stepfather, you know, he'd be drinking beer, getting kind of angry about things. And he would make threats. Oh, I'm going to get out my gun and shoot and blow my brains out or whatever. I mean, just some bullshit that went on in my house around guns. So you were always sort of like on one hand, you're like, why are these weapons in the house? And, and, and then why are these threats occurring? I mean, it was kind of crazy um, at certain moments of my, you know, my, my childhood. Um, but then here's the funny story that was with guns. So then it was Christmas. I think I was probably maybe 10 years old. Um, and, you know, when you're a little kid and you've got a Christmas tree up and the, maybe the, the presents have been out in front of the tree for a week or so prior to Christmas. And you get out there as a little kid, and you're excited and you pick up the gift and you kind of lift it up and you kind of shake the box. And some boxes are heavy and some are light and some you can tell are going to be closed, which you're kind of bored with. But then some are in these rectangular boxes and you're thinking, hey, you know, this could be a toy. This could be cool. And there was one time in this on this Christmas uh, under the Christmas tree, there was one gift for me that was 
I don't know how big of a box it was. It's like, um, I don't know how you'd explain it. It was probably, yeah, like two and a half feet long and a foot deep. And I don't know, so, it, and it was heavy. This box was heavy and it was wrapped in Christmas uh, paper. And I was so curious about this gift. Like, what is it going to be? And I was excited. And finally, it's Christmas. Was it Eve or morning? I can't remember that year what, when we opened up the gifts. But I opened it up. It was a gun rack. I got a gun rack on my 10th birthday. And it's because I had a, my stepfather bought me a BB gun, which I had used a couple of times um, when we were out in sort of the country area outside of San Jose. Um, but I got a gun rack. And I was like, oh, I was just, I was very let down, you know? So it, it just, I've been around guns, but I've never been a gun person. Um, you know, they've always, like, they were always sort of peripherally around me as a youngster. Um, and you know, I've, I've evolved on guns quite a bit. I mean, but you know, my father, he, stepfather, he had, you know, rifles in the closet. Cause I remember going back in the closet, back in the corner behind some clothes, there were like three or four rifles. And then I know that there were at least a couple of pistols that were in the bedside table when I was growing up. It was crazy, right? I mean, I, I don't have guns in my house here. Um, I just don't believe in them. Now, but I've evolved on guns. So, you know, originally, you know, I, if you watch my podcast or listen to my podcast, you know that I've got a lot of opinions on things, you know, on a wide range of societal, cultural, political issues. And I enjoy discussing it and talking about it. Um, but I, the gun topic was one that I always sort of had at arm's length. I didn't really have a strong position either way. And I was kind of, you know, I almost didn't want to go into that debate where there was such divisiveness about the idea of guns. I didn't want to be on one side or the other side because I had trouble kind of with both sides. Um, and I always kind of kept it at arm's length. It wasn't one of the topics I typically talked about where, you know, there's some people that's the number one thing they talk about is guns. Um, and I just didn't want to have that as part of the messaging of what I'm all about. But after a while, and you know, as I kind of learned a little bit about more about politics and about the Bill of Rights and about American history, I began to sort of say, you know, I, I support. This is you know again part of my evolution. I support the right to own a gun. I mean, it's part of American history. It's been that way where you know guns have been a big part of America's storyline, and you know I believe in freedom. I talk about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, and liberty is about freedom. And and I thought, okay, yeah, you can own a gun, but you know you better damn well not use the gun, you know, because that was where the problem was. But I realized that that still wasn't quite right. <laughs> um, my my position what needed more to it than that because we know that there are people that have guns that they don't use them, but someone else uses them. <laughs> someone else grabs the gun. And that, I mean, it was like, that's what happened to Sandy hook, right? I think the shooter there was able to get a gun from their parent, probably not unlike what I was growing up with, where there were rifles in the parents closet. So I realized that that also didn't really make sense to kind of say, yeah, it's, you should be allowed to own a gun, but don't use the gun. Using the gun's the problem. Well, that's true to a certain extent, but it's still not really a solution to the issue. Then I thought more and I said, well, you know what? Ultimately, 
this isn't going to be solved with gun control laws, right? Because we all know that there are what there are more guns in America than there are all people. There are like what three hundred fifty thousand guns spread out across America. I mean, some people have friggin' armories. Um, some people are prepared for Armageddon. You know, they're prepared for um, you know a Mad Max, you know, end of the world, uh, um, Walking Dead kind of a situation. They're armed and ready. Um, there's no way to unwind that really through force of law. I mean, after all, we have a not only a Second Amendment, we also have a Fourth Amendment that people can't be searched and can't have their property seized. So, you know, this is a can of worms. It's not easy to solve. And so then I thought, well, you know what we really need to do is, you know, we we need to not just change the laws and the politics of it. We need to change the culture. Right? We hear that story that culture is upstream from politics. So we, if we change the culture, then long term, we can maybe affect the kinds of laws that we have. Oh, and then to take it upstream further, if we change the philosophy of what's happening in America, what America really represents, then if we affect that, we can affect culture and then further downstream affect politics. And I thought, OK, now that makes sense. If we have a leader that can speak to a philosophical point of view that can bring people together. But we still don't even have that. And we haven't had that forever. Um, we have had leaders that either didn't care um, or were too weak to affect it or really never made the case and never really made it a priority in their administration or a priority for them as a elected legislator. We just had too many weak-ass politicians that would really take the bull by the horns and try to solve the problem, to try to use reason, to approach it rationally, look at the facts on the table, get people together and find a way that we can come together as a people. And it's so damn hard because we're so divided on all sorts of other things. And which, by the way, that's what the politicians do. They divide us. That's how they hold power. That's how they maintain power is through division. By I'm good, the other guy's bad, good cop, bad cop. You know, people have been getting, American people have been played by these people, by these politicians for decades. And in the end results, nothing changes. And it's thoughts and prayers and nothing works. You know, and so then for me, Uvalde happened. And now granted, you know, there's been other mass shootings, <laughs> Pete Neal, are you going to discuss product liability? Well, maybe. I might get there, Pete. So then Uvalde happened. And I mean, these are kids that you're, they're in school. A school should be it, like one of the safest places in society. Um, school should be a place where even the bad guys know it's off limits. You know, it's like you don't tear down. You don't make bad remarks about a person's mother. You don't make bad remarks about their kids, right? You know, there's certain things that are sort of off limits and even criminals have a sort of code of character or, you know, a moral code on this sort of thing. At least they used to. Schools should be safe. Now, does that mean they need to be fortified, um, you know, like a, 
like a military base. Well, not necessarily, but you would think that those should be safe. But then what happened at Uvalde? I think we had – I saw it now. It's, it's uh, a total of 22 dead. I know it was originally 19 children and two adults, but now there's 22 dead. So I don't know if another child passed or another adult passed. Um, but it's just wrong. I mean, you can't allow those sorts of things to continue without addressing it. So I said, there's got to be a different way, a different approach. How can we think of this differently and try to break out of this rinse and repeat cycle, this, this battle amongst the right and the left? What can we do? Now, I don't know if you saw it on the news last night, but Matthew McConaughey, was at the White House and he was, you know, in the, what do they call it? The press room, you know, where the press secretary gets up and all the reporters ask him questions. They gave him the podium, which is kind of amazing. Hollywood guy. Now, granted, he's Matthew McConaughey is from Uvalde, Texas. Um, and, you know, that kind of gives him a, a, you know, a certain level of uh, legitimacy to speak out on this. And plus, you know, the, the, the politicians always love to align with media celebrities, um, particularly Democrats in Hollywood. This made a lot of sense. Now, say what you will about Matthew McConaughey, and we all kind of know he lines up on the left. Um, and you may like his movies or not. You know, I, I like him as an actor. By the way, have you ever seen the movie Dallas Buyers Club? What a great movie that is. That's about a movie where his character – went down in was in Dallas, drove into Mexico and illegally purchased um, drugs for AIDS patients and brought them back into America. These were drugs that were illegal in America. You know, the federal government, the Congress, the Senate, the president made them illegal in America. So he took it upon himself and risked his own, you know, his character risked himself to go into Mexico and bring these illegal drugs in. They were used to save people's lives. Um, what a wonderful story that was. But uh, anyways, he's in front of the, the microphone. And he, he was calling for people to, for these politicians to rise up above politics, calling on the American people to rise up about politics. He says, we have a life preservation problem. We have a chance to reach and grasp a higher ground. I thought that was perfect. That was beautiful. You know, we need to come together and we need to rise up above this political battle that seems to have been going going now for decades. And he further went on to say is that we need to restore family values, which, you know, family values is usually one of the talking points of the Republican Party going back a number of, you know, back, going back 20 to 30 years. They don't talk about family values too much anymore, especially after Trump. Ooh, Trump was a disgrace when it came to family values. But um, he said we need to restore family values. But then he said, he said, we need to restore American values. And I went, Wow. Um, that really makes sense. Ed Franklin on the live stream saying families values would help greatly. They would. I agree with you. Family values are, are a big part of this. And we're going to talk about that in a moment. But he, but what he hit on, which I thought was key, 
is that we have to restore American values. And I was like, oh, this is that's exactly right. And I started thinking about, well, what are American values? And you go back again, go back to the founding of the United States of America. Go back to the Declaration of Independence that was signed on July 4th of 1776. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights that include life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And it went on further to say that it is the job of the government to secure those rights. That, if we go back to that idea, I think we have a shot here. Because that algorithm that's built in, that's kind of baked into America's founding document, talks about liberty, but also talks about the value of life. We got something here. We got something here that makes sense. Government is supposed to protect liberty, but also government is supposed to protect life. And really, these are things that make America special. So if government is supposed to protect, in one case, our life, a gun... I don't care what kind of gun we're talking about. A gun, the purpose of a gun is partly to violate that right to life. You know, granted, there's all kinds of things that we could use that, would, that can kill people. Knives, cars, bombs. Uh, but guns, yeah, sure, people use them for hunting, like my stepfather did. You know, and sure, people use them for skeet shooting and practice, that's okay. But really, the purpose of a gun is to kill. It's a weapon. And so because a gun, its purpose is to violate the right of life, we got a problem. How can you, how can you maintain the right of liberty, but at the same time, protect the right of life when it comes to guns. This is what I was conflicted with. And I was thinking, how can we thread a needle here in a way that can make sense? Um, how, can you, how can you resolve the right to own a gun or even just the freedom to buy a gun without violating the rights of someone else's life, you know, like the victims in Uvalde? So here's where I, what I've concluded. I think, I think it makes, is, it should be perfectly acceptable that a gun could be used for self-defense, okay? So, you know, your right to your own life includes your right to defend yourself. You know, we, we see all kinds of cases where this has happened, where people have threatened others, and then there's been... You know, sometimes there are good guys with guns that are able to take them out. Wish that would exist more often. But there are legitimate reasons why someone would want a gun for self-defense. I mean, there's, there's some women that pack in their purse 
you know, depending on where they live and the circumstances or where they work or whatever, they might be in a dangerous area. They might feel their life is under threat. You know, they might have a restraining order and they feel like they've got to protect themselves. So a gun used as a tool of self-defense, in my opinion, makes a lot of sense. And it's also consistent with our inalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And pistols are a great example of a tool that can be used as self-defense. But if you want to use a gun for offense, not defense, you want to go on offense, kind of like the, the, the shooter in Uvalde, then we got a problem. Ed Franklin on the live stream. Do you have any statistics on gun violence in Arizona where they can carry open carry? Well, I know they have open carry in Texas without a permit. And, you know, we get Uvalde. Um, you know, if everyone's packing, then, yeah, I guess you could say at some degree that will deter crime, deter shootings. But then you've got a society, you know, it's really based on fear, you know, and everyone's afraid. Everyone's looking over their shoulder. I don't think that's necessarily a world we want to live in, is it? I mean, we want to live in a world, at least I do, that's a world of peace and prosperity, a world where we are engaging with our fellow man and, and cooperating and voluntarily helping one another and trading with one another. And granted, I know it's utopian to a degree, but there's always going to be bad guys, right? And sure, I mean, you could give guns to teachers and they could, I mean, you can see how this kind of goes. It can get kind of almost a little bit comical. I don't know if we want teachers to be all packing heat. It's not really the role of a teacher. Ed Franklin said, I just didn't know, you know, about the Arizona stats on gun violence. I'm as puzzled as you are. My, my sense is, is that, is that it probably doesn't make that big of a difference. That's my guess. Um, you know, for every case we can find that there was a good guy with a gun that took out the bad guy, there's probably going to be a lot of cases where the bad guy did bad things with no opposition at all. So it's almost like, you know, it, I don't know, it's the kind of a mutual assured destruction mentality to a degree. So at any rate, I was saying is if you want to use a gun for defense, that makes sense. But if you want to use a gun for offense, okay, then we got a, we got a whole other set of issues. Um, and that's where you hear these, these calls for people to have background checks, to have red flag laws. You know, like, what's a red flag law? A red flag law is that someone has a gun in their possession and they're making threats or they're acting in a mentally disturbed way or there is some reason to believe that they're going to use that gun to kill other people. A red flag law will take away the gun. Now, sometimes you'll hear people on the left say, we're not going to come and take away your guns, but red flag laws do that. Now, in my opinion, red flag laws are really an infringement on gun rights. But if you just take the Second Amendment and just set it aside just for the purpose of conversation, I don't think any rational person 
wants to live in a society where mentally unstable people have weapons and are threatening to kill other people. They're threatening to violate people's inalienable right to their own life. So, you know, remember before I told you about my evolution on guns, I used to think of the Second Amendment and say, yeah, you have a right to own a gun, but you don't have a right to use it in a way to kill lots of people. But realistically, do we want to be in a society where people that are clearly unstable, you know, there, we see all kinds of, you know, they talk about mental illness and that's a legit issue. We talk about drug addiction and people just not of their right minds. In fact, there might be people like the, the crazy man that tried to attack me in Salinas that tried to attack me in Salinas. Imagine those kinds of people that have guns. That's crazy. So I thought to myself, maybe I originally thought background checks, you know, that's like a fourth amendment violation, right? It's an invasion of your privacy. Background checks, you know, are literally an infringement. They're a reason to decline selling a person a gun. But then I thought, you know, it just is illogical. Even though the second amendment technically, if you read it a certain way, can make the argument that they should have a gun, but we, that doesn't make sense. It's not reasonable. So, but when you look at things like uh, background checks and red flag laws, and, and by the way, red flag laws, if they're done properly, they need to have due process. You know, you can't have like a person being accused by their next door neighbor of having a gun and threatening to use it unless there's evidence that they actually are a danger. And then prior to having those guns seized, you have to have the due process of going to a judge and getting a warrant and making the case in front of a court of law. That's important, have, maintaining that due process. But there, according to, this is another survey that's um, from Pew Research, there is broad uh, agreement on some gun policy proposals. Uh, majorities of both partisan coalitions favor um, policies that would restrict gun access. Preventing people with mental illness purchasing a gun, 85% of Republicans believe that, and 90% of Democrats want to restrict gun access for people with mental illness. Oh, my God. When was the last time we've had 85 to 90% of America in agreement? Holy moly. So um, then, uh, and subjecting private gun sales um, and gun show sales to background checks, 70% of Republicans believe that. 92% of Democrats believe in it. So that's like 80% of America wants to have uh, background checks. 85 to 90% of America wants to prevent people with mental illness from getting a gun. And I'm thinking, okay, we're on to something here. Because those are the people that you're afraid are going to use that gun on offense. They're going to want to use that gun, a mentally unstable person or a person with a very checkered past who has a background that doesn't make sense for the own, have a weapon. Those are the people that we need to be concerned with. Those are the people that could be another Uvalde suitor. So these, I was originally opposed to these ideas, but now I'm bracing them because in my opinion, they are consistent with our founding values of 
life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We need to allow guns in self-defense, but we need to carefully manage guns, not ban guns, not confiscate guns, except maybe in the red flag law cases. But when a gun can be used on offense, we have to take a very different approach than if it's used on defense. So now none of these gun laws are going to solve the problem. Of course not. Um, You can have background checks. You can have uh, mentally ill, mental illness checks. I don't know how in the heck you do that. That will never solve the problem. It might slow down the problem. We might be able to prevent some cases of people buying weapons. Imagine if like someone walked into a gun store and bought any kind of a weapon. Let's just say it's an auto, a semi-automatic weapon. But they ended up buying like a thousand rounds of ammo. Holy crap. Um, that's a case where someone might want to use a gun on offense. And I think that's what we need to break down. We need to address those, not on defense. But more importantly, coming together on these laws are what, A, what the American people want, overwhelmingly, both parties. And secondly, it's more about it going back to my original point that we need to have leadership in this country that can that can really articulate the philosophy and begin to shift culture to begin to kind of change hearts and minds. And if we have that kind of a leader, then we've got something going. And so if we're able to move the needle on some of these gun control laws, I think we have, we have the right person at the helm. I think we have an opportunity to shift that. Now, Here's the thing, what, and I've got, I know there's a couple more questions on the live stream, which I'll, I'll comment on, but here's the thing. And this is what I think is the key idea to all of this. One key idea is the offense versus defense. But the other part of this is, is that if we go back philosophically to the moral foundation of the founding of America, the preamble of our Constitution that guarantees our inalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness and tasks government with securing those rights, that should be something that our right-wing friends, our patriotic American friends, our, our friends that love waving the red, white, and blue, this is a message that I think they should hopefully come together on, is protecting our right to life. In fact, many on a right, they claim to be pro-life when it comes to the abortion issue. They believe life is sacred. Okay. I mean, I've done a couple of podcasts on abortion. I don't want to muddy the waters too much. But we know that there are a lot of people on the right that support life. When a person buys a gun with the ability or potential to use it on offense— then there's a serious threat to life and a rightful per- reason for someone to step in. This is a fundamentally American idea. The protection of your right to life. Um, and the beauty of it is it's right there. It's baked in to the founding of America. It's right there. 
It's like we've got the formula. We've got the secret sauce. We've got the algorithm. It's right there. And if we can see guns, you know, guns for defense, good. Guns for offense, bad. Okay? Because guns on offense violate people's right to their own life. But guns on defense protect a person's right to life. Because if their right to life is being threatened, then it is appropriate to use force in return. Absolutely. That's self-defense. So to me, that was the key idea from this. And, and I walked away from that feeling really good. Um, on the live stream, a few more comments. Ed Franklin says, I think the other issue is mental health. Now, yeah, I'm going to get to mental health here in a minute. We have a very serious problem when it related to mental health, and it's not just mental health with guns. It's mental health with homelessness and addiction and a lot of other things. I'm going to comment on that here in a minute. But mental health is a problem. Now, I don't know how we'd work that um, as it relates to a mental health check to buy a gun. But there needs to be some mechanism to prevent that. Now, it's, it's, it's going to be difficult. Now, let's look at a couple more comments on the live stream. Matthew Brannigan says, I think it's odd that an 18-year-old can buy a gun but can't buy a beer. Yeah. Uh, now, granted, in some states, you have to be 21 to buy a gun. And this is a little bit of a tangent, but this is something that's always been a pet peeve of mine, is that there are all these different things in life that are set for different ages you know, different rules for different ages, you know, 16 to drive, 18 to vote, 18 to be drafted, 18 to buy a gun, 21 to drink. Um, and I, I would imagine it's probably 21 to go buy marijuana now that it's available. Uh, you know, there are all these rules. I've always thought if you're an adult, then you should have all rights of adulthood. I always thought that they had to, they should find a way to make those all consistent. Um, but yeah, there's all it's because they're different. There's all kinds of contradictions. The other beauty of, or the other angle to that, Matthew, is that a person can be can be drafted to go into the army to fight for America's freedom, yet still not have the freedom to buy a beer. <laughs> so there's all kinds of crazy contradictions that are involved with that. Never mind the fact. That being drafted, now granted, I know we don't do the draft now, but you know that could come back at any time. Being drafted in and of itself is a violation of freedom. Imagine having your freedom violated to be forced to go into a war to fight for freedom. <laughs> it's like a it's like a cyclical, you know, contradiction contradictory argument. But yeah, it is weird. That it's, you can buy a gun at 18, but you can't buy a beer. Mike Ryan on live stream giving a shout out. Good to see you, Mike. Pete Neal says, my military training emphasized never fire first, only return fire in defense. Second aspect was liability in the form of responsibility for life. Okay, Pete, I think you and I are on the same page here. Um, it's appropriate to use a gun in defense. Now, sometimes defense may require shooting first. If, if, you know, imagine if you're a single mom 
trying to protect your child and you have a restraining order against your against the father of your child, perhaps your ex-husband, and that person's acting crazy, that person's making threats to you, that person is bringing a weapon to your property and threatening to kill you, in my opinion, you should be able to shoot first, <laughs> um, even before the crazy person shoots. But to the point being is, I think, defense first, offense needs to be treated very differently. Um, <clears throat> But, I mean, again, we can talk about gun laws and everything, but it's leadership, it's philosophy, and it's the effect on culture that are important. We need to bring people in America together. We're so damn divided. And what a perfect place to bring people together if it is, the, is our own Declaration of Independence, the Charter of America. The, the statement heard round the world of the creation of America, this great experiment, this place that protected individual rights, that said we are all equal under the law. Those are beautiful ideas. And granted, as a nation, we've struggled to properly enforce or, or to implement those ideas. And there's a lot of obvious cases where we failed to protect liberty, protect people's rights. I mean, slavery is probably the most egregious violation of those, those rights of all time. But still, the ideas were right. And what better way to bring people together than to preach from the playbook that defined our nation in the first place? I mean, that should bring together um, the, the right and the left. That should bring together the... You know, the guy with, you know, like our friends on the, on the, in Poway on the corner of Twin Peaks and Pomerado that are out there waving American flags. Having a president embracing America's founding values makes a great deal of sense. This is why when Matthew McConaughey said, we need to go back to family values, we need to go back to American values, I was like, yes. That's what we need to do. That's how we're going to come together as a people. Pete Neal on the live stream says, and my training was right in the middle of the My Lai incident in Vietnam, which drove the points home. What was the My Lai incident? I should know this. I'm sorry, Pete, but please share. Now, here, I want to go a little further on this. So I always say the philosophy exists, right? We have to start with philosophy, and leadership. Philosophy affects culture. Culture affects politics. That's the problem we're having right now in America is we're going right to the politics. We're going right to China. You know, they want to say, do something, pass a law. And yeah, they should pass laws to protect us, even to a small degree of these lunatics that are using guns to go on offense. But that's not going to solve it ultimately. We need to Go back to what I say, our right to our own life. We have a right to our own life. We have a right to our own liberty, and we have a right to pursue our own happiness. So what does that mean? And this is where we're going to get into a little bit of mental illness here, um, that I spoke, the, our mental health, Ed. Our lives are valuable. We have to constantly, re I mean, there's a lot of people that don't give a crap about their life. 
there are people out there that are nihilists, that don't care, that make decisions in their life um, that are inconsistent with living living a, a full and prosperous and flourishing life. There are people that are tearing themselves apart, that are just, you know, quote unquote, killing themselves. I mean, I think we can see that particularly in the case of this mass shooter in Uvalde and of many other mass shooters, they have no appreciation for their own life. They don't care about their own life. They just kind of want to go out in a blaze of glory. So if we teach people that you have a right to your own life, that's special. I mean, look at the course of human history going back millennia. It's been kings and dictators and oppressive bullies and, uh, you know, poverty and, and just terrible qualities of life, slavery, feudalism, all kinds of a mess over, over history. But now in America, this one brief moment in the progress of, of human beings is a place where you have a right to your own life. It's like you couldn't say that in other nations. And definitely, as you go back in history, people were getting killed left and right. It didn't matter. You have a right to your own life. Your life is valuable. That needs to be taught. You, we, we need to have, we need to have, not, not we as a, as a whole, not we as a collective, but each of us as an individual need to have our own set of values, our own set of sort of a morality of what's right and what's wrong, a hierarchy of priority of priorities. We need to have things that are that we understand that are important in our life. Maybe it's our children, it's our um, parents, maybe it's our career, maybe it's living a prosperous life, living a peaceful life, maybe it's our community. We have to have a set of values in our life. Maybe it could be our freedom, our um, uh, it, it could be any number of things that people hold valuable in their life. Those need to be reinforced and reminded. People need to be reminded of this, that you need to have a set of values and a moral code that differentiates between right and wrong. People need to take their life seriously, their career, their family, their hobbies, even their hobbies. It's valuable. But there are people that give up. There are people that don't think their life is important. They think it doesn't matter. Those are the people that become nihilists and just, they end up destroying their lives. They end up becoming addicted to drugs, to alcohol, to a wide range of other issues. Those are the people that end up having mental illnesses. Um, sometimes their lack of focus on their own life leads to some of the mental illness, you know, particularly if their life gets distorted by, by varying drugs. But in another case, mental illness will lead people to make bad choices. So at any rate, there are people that don't take their life seriously, and they need to. And they need to be, be told that the highest moral purpose in your life is your pursuit of your happiness. There are a lot of people that don't believe that. A lot, some people think that's just, you know, fantasy, that we should pursue happiness. They think that it's impossible. It's a dream. There are other people that think it's a bad thing. They think if you pursue your happiness, you're being selfish. People think that if you pursue your happiness, you're being greedy. 
But we should understand that happiness is righteous. Happiness is the purpose of being on this planet. It's the whole purpose of living. And if people were were told this and this philosophy was reinforced, then I think we'd have a lot less people that want to go out and commit mass mass shootings. You know, be all that you can be. To use Pete, you're talking about military. Be all that you can be. It was one of the it's a recruiting slogan for the US Army, I think, or is it the military more broadly? But be all that you can be is a great message. It's a message that, man, go out there and live your life. You know, YOLO, you only live once. Flourish. You know, build a great career. Build a great family. Live in a great community. Build wealth. Start a business. Help people with that business. Employ others. Build products, create brand new products and services that solve problems, you know, for society at large and for people in your community. I mean, go out there and do great things. Invent new products. Go out there and if you maybe you, you want to be an athlete, but you want to be the best athlete. Be all that you can be. That's a message that is just not reinforced. Now, I want to just wrap it up with, with a couple of more thoughts on this. Now, Oh, but first Pete says, I remember my instructors. Oh, excuse me. You got a bunch of stuff here on my life. William Laws Cowley Jr. gave an order to kill everyone in the area called my lie, which brought up the issue of what is lawful order. He ended up convicted of 22 counts of murder by his troops who had received the order. I remember my instructors dealing with the impact of my lie on my training. Hence, never fire first. Questioning a lawful order took years to sort out. Yeah, that's tough, man. In the military, everyone follows orders. You're supposed to. And questioning your superior officer is, yeah, that's hard. But to your point, yeah, you know, don't fire unless you're fired upon. But I think there are cases where you might want to fire first, which I've kind of gone over. But I want to, I want to close with this one thought. Now, there are some people you'll see people comment like this on social media, that they believe that the reason that we have all these mass shootings, and really the mass shootings haven't been a thing until around 1990, right? You know, prior to that, they existed, but nowhere near the frequency. And some people say it's access to weapons, and yeah, that's part of it, but they really didn't happen very often prior to 1990. And so... People will say sometimes that we've got all these problems that have only seemed to be in recent times. Addiction seems to be way worse now than it was when I was a child um, with drugs and alcohol. Um, gun violence, depression, anxiety, mental health issues. Some people think that the reason we have that is because we took God out of the schools. Have you ever heard that line of argument before? You know, the minute we took God out of the schools, boy, you know, there was no morals being taught. And, and, you know, when you got, when you live a life of Christ, it's all about living a pure life and loving thy neighbor and on and on. Well, you know what? I, you know, of course, I don't support, 
evangelizing religion in government schools. Not at all. But there's something to be said about that. There's something to be said that when, you know, a long time ago, I would imagine probably what in the 1960s and earlier, God was more of a thing in government schools. Granted, I went to a Catholic school first through eighth grade. Um, so God was a huge part of of our, our, our upbringing. But uh, I think there's something to be said by that because when a school is is teaching religion, what they're teaching is a moral framework of values. They're talking about what's right and what's wrong. You know, they're they're talking about what's what's uh, in, in in the case of religion, what's the proper pathway to heaven, and what's the you know the highway to hell. Um, I should have said the stairway to heaven and the highway to hell. They 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 try to teach that moral framework to keep people on the straight and narrow. So they're not only making good choices about their life so they don't harm others, but they're ultimately making good choices about their life to help themselves to a degree. Now, granted, now I don't think we need to reintroduce religion, but I think there is something to be said that when we remove religion from the schools, a void was created. And I'm not sure if it's been replaced with anything. Has it? Do they teach any sort of morality in schools? And I don't mean morality like, um, you know, issues related to, um, you know, sex and that kind of morality. I just mean morality in terms of what's right and what's wrong. Morality about, you know, what it means to, to, to live a flourishing life. And the kinds of decisions you can make to have success in life. And the kinds of activities that are good for your life and the other kinds of activities that are destructive to your life. Now, granted, there's some of that in the schools teaching about the negative effects of drugs. That doesn't seem to help much because I don't think what they teach is that your life is valuable. And you have a right to your own life and a right to pursue your happiness. I don't think they teach American values within the context of a philosophy to teach people how to be better people. They might teach life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness in a history class, but they don't really teach it in a self-improvement kind of a, um, I know there's no self-improvement classes, but they don't put it in that context. And I think they should. Um, And I think that's a missing piece of this. So, if people can be taught that their life is valuable, that their life has purpose, if people can be taught to respect the rights of others, if people can be taught that the highest moral purpose is to seek their own happiness, if people can be taught that they can flourish and how to do it, then I think we would see a diminishment of a lot of problems like gun violence, like addiction, like mental health, like nihilism, and a lot of other things. So I'm, not, I, I'm telling you, I've, I've evolved on guns. I used to kind of keep them at arm's length. I, you know, I grew up with guns in my house. Then I was kind of, you know, more of a freedom guy thinking, okay, this is America. It's part of our history. You should have the right to own a weapon. But I realized it was in conflict, particularly with our inalienable right of our own life. 
And there had to be a new way to look at, look at it. The key message here is we need a leadership. And it's not going to come from Biden. It's sure as hell not going to come from Trump. But we need a new kind of leader that can bring us back to these founding values of America, which has the ability to bring people together left and right because we're all Americans. And we can, we can be reminded. We can, we can be, uh, more properly explained what makes America great. It's that we're all equal under the law and we all have a right to our life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. Forgive me for repeating that, but I think it's just so important. If we had a leader that went back to those founding values and evangelized that philosophy, and I think we would have a shift in culture and ultimately the political solutions have become way easier because right now we have a divide, a division. We need to come together. And what better way to come together than on the founding of the United States of America? The other key part of this is, I think, is to see guns in the context of offense versus defense. Um, and I think that gives a little bit more clarity to how gun law should be used. And I will, oh, my friend didn't mention this. There's already, what, like 350,000 guns in America? There are more, 350 million guns in America, excuse me. There are more guns in America than there are people. What do you do with that? Well, in a nation that is founded upon the notion of freedom and has a Fourth Amendment that prevents people from having their person and, and uh, property searched and seized without a warrant. That's a, the idea of confiscating all the guns is just unrealistic. And, and frankly, it would be un-American. Imagine if the police went door to door, knocking on doors to collect the guns. Well, besides the fact that that could ignite a civil war, uh, what would also happen is, is that if you made guns illegal, it would be just like the war on drugs. The guns would just be distributed underground. You'd create a black market around guns. And then it, suppose you legalize drugs to minimize gun violence, which is a good thing. You know, all those gangs would just go in the business of selling weapons, which would be insane. See, you, you can't, you can't confiscate the guns. What you can do is teach people that their life is valuable and that a gun for self-defense is really all you should need. And then people can make decisions for themselves on the weapons they want to have. And I think if a gun buyback program exists, not necessarily a bad idea. Um, now, Grant, you could say then only the bad guys have guns, and there is certain concern about that. But there is a, you know, we do have a problem. The toothpaste is out of the tube. <laughs> we, the horses have left the barn, to use another cliche. You got all those guns in society. You, it's hard to undo that. The only goal, the only basis, I think, to solve that problem is to educate people, change the culture so people don't feel a need to have a gun, and then address a lot of these issues like nihilism, addiction, uh, mental illness that cause people 
to to become criminals and to threaten others where you feel like you need a gun in the first place for self-defense. I think if we were able to break a lot of that down, I think we would evolve and get to the point where guns are just to a large degree unnecessary because we live in a world of peace and prosperity. And that's what we want. And then, yeah, there will still be guns that exist and we'll have to handle those as they come. But I think we can minimize it with the right kind of leadership. Mike Ryan says, I can agree with that, John. We need someone that can get both left and right working together. Yeah, right on, Mike Ryan. Um, Yeah, the whole idea of taking people's guns, to me, that's just off the table. Um, That is, and that, that, frankly, is un-American to seize people's weapons. It is precisely un-American. That's why we need to come back together on American values. That's how we'll bring the left and right together. So anyways, I just want to share those thoughts with you. Um, You know, I was (laughs) over the weekend, I was thinking about it more clearly, and I was really trying to reconcile my original opinion on guns with the reality of guns in America now. Also trying to uh, uh, reconcile it with American values. And then when McConaughey got up there and said, we need to go back to American values, like, oh, my God, this is this is who we've been waiting for. (laughs) Um, all right, all right, all right. You know, now granted he goes on to really then preach the left wing message, but you know, some of those things make sense. So anyways, thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. Um, you want to get more information, go on my website, uh, johnreillyproject.com and you know, all of our episodes are there. All of our social link media links are there. You can get on our email list. It's all posted there. Got blog content there, so feel free to visit johnreillyproject.com for more info. Okay, friends, we're all done here. Thanks again. Bye-bye. If you enjoyed today's show, do me a favor. Subscribe and then share it with a friend or leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Let's continue the conversation on social media. Go to connectwithjohnny.com to get links to our social media content, audio podcast platforms, and to sign up for our mailing list. To be a guest, read my blog, or get more information, please visit johnreillyproject.com to get started.